night Talking movies with two guys named Mike They usually cover films that win goals But this series is all Tarantino Rumors and a few of these Michael Madsons in like five Here we go Talking the movies of Q MMOs reviewing movies of Q's Tarantino The rewatch series brought to you by MMO And we're back July 6th, 2019 on the 29th anniversary of Jetsons the Movies opening in theaters. <laughs> this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar coming at you once again with another installment into the Quentin Tarantino rewatch series that we are doing. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Also Mike here. Those references are weird. <laughs> we love this rewatch series so far. We have a not-so-hateful eight new segments for Tarantino's eight films. Let's see what you did there. Leading into his ninth uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're going to talk about his plans for his perhaps 10th film or yeah. not uh, in the next Mike, Mike and Oscar weekly news and trailer review and movie review variety show. But for now, we're focused on Death Proof, baby. That's right. That's what we're doing today. So if you've not joined us before for a Tarantino rewatch episode, Mike just ran down some of the differences, but what they are is two reviews for the price of one. We're going through Quentin Tarantino's directorial canonical filmography, which is just simple to say. Rolls off the tongue, really. Mm -hmm. It's two reviews for the price of one. Every first half is going to be a non-spoiler review. So if you've not seen these movies yet, don't worry. The first half won't ruin anything for you. We're just going into the performances, the specs, talk about some other stuff related to the film. Then we have a, a theater group is going to perform the spoiler warning, which will be a scene interpretation from one of Tarantino's movies that we're talking about. It's the greatest theater group that's on the come up uh, in the history of the world, I would say, but I'm biased. <laughs> and then the spoiler warning will lead to the spoiler section, what will be the second half of every one of these episodes, which goes into the highs and lows. We talk about what we call trademark Tarantino, some of the most famous stuff from these movies, some of the underappreciated and underrated stuff, and some things that we think should be more famous, as well as things we did and didn't like about the plot. Sorry, so like I said, if you've not seen this movie yet, don't worry, you're in the right spot. We have a non-spoiler section to start the review here. And the non-spoiler section starts with Mike running down the cast and crew. So in between Kill Bill 2 and Death Proof, Tarantino wrote and directed those two episodes of CSI, a two-parter called Grave Danger. He also directed that scene from Sin City, the Robert Rodriguez film, the one with Benicio Del Toro in it. That, mm -hmm. the scene, that was my favorite scene of the movie. As for his acting, Tarantino played Kermit's director in The Muppets' Wizard of Oz, and he was the voice of Master Malak, or Malak, in the Looney Tunes Daffy Duck original series, Duck Dodgers, Michael. Huh. Okay. Finally, as a producer, Tarantino was the exec producer of Eli Roth's Hostel, which was a huge hit at the time. Yeah, what a movie. I'd never seen it, I never will. And it's half porn, half just torture porn. Blah. Yeah. And he also was the producer of an Olympic water polo documentary called Freedom's Fury. Anything on Freedom's Fury, Mike? Like, just, uh, there's a difference between getting those reps and just doing anything you want to do. And he feels like he's not getting reps as much as he's just like, oh, this is interesting to me right now. Maybe I'll make a documentary about water polo. He wanted to do it. He did. <laughs> Johnny Knoxville did a movie called Daltrey Calhoun, directed by the daughter, the adopted daughter of Charles Bronson that he also produced. This ain't over. 
Kurt Russell plays stuntman Mike in Death Proof. Sure does. Tarantino was thrilled to get Snake Plissken himself from the Escape from New York and L.A. movies in this one. This is going to shock you, but I have both those movies wrapped in plastic on Blu-ray. Never seen them? No. They're okay. I own them. I I know people love them. I I think they're solid. I I don't love them. The only snake I care for is Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. It's a video game franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. All right. We're going to be fired today. (laughs) Zoe Bell plays herself in this film. She was the stunt double for Uma Thurman for Uh. both Kill Bill movies. Tarantino told her that he was writing her something for his next movie. She basically thought it was a tiny part, a glorified extra part. She was very surprised when he called her, telling her he finished the script. She was even more shocked when he wanted to have dinner uh, with her to discuss it. She was even more shocked from there when she saw her name on the cover. She thought this was this goofy thing that he was just playing a game with her. And then, of course, she was totally blown away when... She was flipping through the script and kept seeing her name in all the dialogue scenes. Kind of kicked off an acting career for her, too. But yeah. I, she was great in this movie, I thought. I thought she's very good. Yeah. I mean, I liked her the least her in terms of her performance. But then again, she's not an actor. Right. And you can kind of tell she's, you know, upon my fifth or sixth watch of this, you can tell. But you at the same time. the least? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it, it just is what it is. I, I think the other actors are yeah, a bit more polished. But she's hanging with them. Yeah. She really is hanging with them, and she's very charming. She's very fun. Uh, I think when she's physical, she's she's terrific. Yeah, she's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and obviously her stunt work is mm-hmm. you know second to none. Uh, we have Claire Temple from Netflix Marvel TV series, uh, all those shows that are no more on Netflix <laughs> well. now. Rosario Dawson herself plays Abernathy. The Devil Wears Prada's Trace. Tracy Thomas plays Kim. Both Dawson and Thomas were friends after working together in the movie musical of Rent. So they got hold of the script for Depth Proof and they rehearsed the entire thing together to the point where when they got in their audition, they performed almost the entire thing for Tarantino. And he was so impressed with that amount of work that he had to cast. Of course. From Graceland and NCIS New Orleans, Vanessa Ferlito is Butterfly. We have Carter Sidney Tamia Portier, daughter of the Oscar winner, of course. She plays Julia. Rose McGowan, who was also the star of Planet Terror, the first part of this grindhouse double feature, film directed by Robert Rodriguez. She is Pam. And the directors talked about how this was pretty much customary for Grindhouse Double Features. Sid Haig would play a fun part in one movie, and then he would play an evil character in the next. Mm -hmm. Pam Greer would be the star of one movie, and maybe a victim or a bit part in in the second film. It's pretty much what he did already with a couple actors on the Kill Bill franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And Tarantino did it himself in these two films, so... Uh, the rest of the cast, we have Cabin Fevers, Jordan Ladd playing Shanna, and future star Mary Elizabeth Winston playing Lee. I love her so much. She's awesome. Tarantino, Eli Roth, Michael, and James Parks reprise, well, they reprise their roles, but you have the two directors in this as well with bit parts. The two cops there, the Parks, I guess they're cops in other Tarantino movies as well, and that kind of leads to the thinking of why this movie is considered in the realer than real universe of Tarantino universes that we talked about of all movies. Last two, I, which I don't buy, but uh, that's what we talked about in the Easter egg, the Tarantino verse building section of our last two episodes. So take that for what it is worth. There, we'll go through some specs and some year in the life of Death Proof here, written and directed like Mike told you by Quentin Tarantino. It was released as a double feature alongside Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror in a dual. 
dual screening experience entitled Grindhouse as an homage to the Grindhouse films of the 60s and 70s. Death Proof is part of the dichotomy that makes covering Tarantino so infuriating. On the one hand, he's a wildly inventive director, as he gave an interview with Rolling Stone soon after the first trailer for Grindhouse leaked in 2007 and commented on how he wanted to make a slasher but found the formula too rigid with not enough leeway for him to play around with, fearing that if you change the slasher formula, you border on not having a slasher movie at all. So he took the slasher genre and put it against the old Grindhouse theater setting. So it's a slasher that isn't really a slasher, but is kind of a slasher in a sexploitation film that happens to be a chase movie instead of a knife you have a car kind of thing exactly as was one of his quotes as well that version of tarantino was also the same guy who at one time could have been considered a great ally in the progressive feminist movement having just made the amazing feminist revenge story in kill bill volumes one and two and now penning this death proof film which features at least four amazingly tough independent female protagonists even going so far as to base the entirety of the movie around the real life professional backstory of zoe bell allowing the longtime stunt not only play herself, but get her first leading acting role in the process in a film which glorifies and highlights the far too often overlooked importance of stunt workers in general. And it's fun to see we have the Brad Pitt character in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie also based on a stunt person. I mean, Tarantino really does respect stunt people after all this. Yeah, which is awesome to see, and I wish that that gained more momentum to, like we talk about all the time, become its own category in these big award shows, because it's absurd. These people sure. literally put their lives on the line, and they don't, they're not considered part of the movie industry as much as any other actor is. Give me a break. It's uh, Kurt Russell's quote comes into play here. You know, if you're willing to throw yourself down a flight of stairs and you live in the city of Hollywood... Probably, Probably find somebody, for it, yeah. Yeah, somebody to pay for it. <laughs> the frustration with Tarantino comes in when you realize Tarantino is also the same guy who spit on Uma Thurman's face in the aforementioned volume 2 and manages to write all eight of the lead female characters in this movie as kind of sex-obsessed manipulatives who are outlets for physical and mental abuse. If Jessica Chastain shuddered thinking about the torment Uma Thurman's character went through in Kill Bills, then she'd probably just plain vomit were she to see this movie. It's an exploitation genre film or a genre send-up. I just wish, in a way, he could have... I don't want to say... He does subvert the genre. He does, at the end of the day. Sure. He makes us go through hell to get there. (laughs) Yep. I just wish he didn't have to make this go through so much slime to get there. And it brings up the next point, and that point is that the timeline of real-life events circling around the filming of this movie is impossible to ignore. We know now that Tarantino convinced Uma Thurman to do a dangerous stunt for Kill Bill, which ended up in her crashing and getting severely injured. We know Uma was against attempting the stunt in the first place, had to be assured by Quentin everything would be okay, and that the stunt coordinator on set for the film and his team were kept off set entirely the day that crash happened, that courtesy of The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, I just learned that fact. Uh, We would have been even... Apeshit about it last last episode. We We know all this. And we know now that a few years after all that went down, Tarantino decides to make his next film about Uma Thurman's Kill Bill stunt double being fixed to the hood of a car while numerous dangerous stunts in a giant high-speed chase scene occur. I don't think this is by accident. I don't think this it's story is by not. accident. I don't think the uh, whatever you want to talk about, the inspiration for it. No. Yeah. It's an accident. I don't think we got to be Dr. Freud here to really get to the bottom yeah, of this. To paraphrase a line from Mad Men Season 1, <laughs> Not great, Q! Oh, God. That said, Grindhouse Cinema was basically a forgotten subgenre 
hate that word, by the time 2007 came around, and the newly formed Weinstein Company, created by Bob and Harvey Weinstein in March of 2005 after leaving Miramax, was desperate for a hit. Grindhouse, the dual feature here, received the green light to become the studio's 28th film, and they were no doubt expecting a boon once it hit theaters as Tarantino had just grossed nearly $350 million for them worldwide for Miramax just a few years ago with the two Kill Bill movies. Mm -hmm. What the Weinsteins received, however, and maybe appropriately considering the film's backstory was the worst flop of Tarantino's canonical directorial career. Tarantino was given $30 million for just his portion of Grindhouse, but the double feature had a budget of nearly $60 million total and ended up grossing just over $25 million worldwide total. Whoops. Yeah, whoops indeed. It would wind up being the only film of Tarantino's to lose money and, along with Jackie Brown and Reservoir Dogs, his first independent art house film, one of the only Tarantino films to not break the $50 million mark domestically. Still, Tarantino has gone on record saying he's proud of his lone flop, but took solace in the fact that audiences that did make it to theaters to see the film seemed to enjoy it, as he told The Telegraph in a 2007 interview that he saw the film in theaters eight different times during its opening weekend, trying to take in the audience's reaction each time, which he said was positive. My experience uh, in that first screening on opening weekend was positive. Sure. I, mean, I think had I, seen, nuts yeah, for it. had I seen this not now, you know, if I saw this back in 2007 and then the heyday of all that before knowing, before all the stuff that came out about Kill Bill, I probably would have enjoyed it too. It's a fine film. I mean, if you really, don't know the backstory, right, if you don't exactly. know the backstory of the previous film, right. Yeah, that, that's what's really hitting sucks us the wrong to say, way. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, his assessment isn't wrong for what it's worth. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes for Death Proof is higher than its tomato meter score. 72% audience score to 65% tomato meter score. Though, the meta rating for Grindhouse of a 77 is actually significantly higher than the 7.0 Death Proof received on IMDb. That's strange. That's a little interesting. Yeah. That is very strange. Now, if you were to grade Planet Terror, what would you grade that, the first? I never saw it. Oh, really? No, I've never seen it. It's uh, I I would probably give it like a B minus because yeah. it's fun, it's it's a fun movie. I love the trailers in between it all. Like you got, I remember watching those online. And you got Rob Zombie. Those. Yeah. yeah, those are a lot of fun. Uh, they're, they're disgusting. And it was Rob Zombie, Eli Roth, and oh, your boy there, right? Yeah, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Yeah. So th those are those are a lot of fun. I know they did fake trailers for Machete too, as well. Yeah. And whatnot. But I, I and now if you look up all the fake trailers, sometimes they get mixed together. But the, those are those are fun. Those they're crazy, just absolutely crazy. I think the Don't trailer is my favorite from Edgar Wright. <laughs> <laughs> don't. All right. So, so read, read the premise and then talk more about your first experience with this. So two separate sets of voluptuous women are stalked at different times by That's a necessary. scarred stuntman who uses his death-proof cars to execute his murderous plans. So did you see this opening weekend you said? I did. I saw it in New York City. You sat I, through the double feature. I sat through the double feature, and it was a late-night double feature. I oh, mean, wow. I was back in the day where I didn't have to do shit in the morning. <laughs> and my my friend Scotty, whose real name was Jim, went with me. Okay. We had a friend Jim already in the group, so we're, very early on he reluctantly agreed to be Scotty. Fair. So he was Scotty for four years. Did now, Eurotrip play any role in that? Or? Absolutely. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. <laughs> Scotty doesn't know. It was yeah. his anthem, not his... Uh, life necessarily <laughs> it wasn't he didn't have girls cuckolding him <laughs> but he did uh he did love that song where do, does my brain go tangent like? anyway <laughs> look i mean it was a big deal i remember uh the place being packed uh there was like some famous people sitting in like the first row it was a Willem Dafoe. no wow. I, I could i don't remember who it was and i don't want to just name drop right now 
I can't remember for the life of me. Right. Jim, right in, let me know who it was. <laughs> I don't know if it was Rodriguez himself, but there's there's a big applause for the people in the very front row oh, at good. one point. That's cool. And this this is you know this is going back. I mean, right. how many twelve years ago? What not? Can't believe it's our 2007s. We're a so ago. old. It sucks. So yeah, that that was my first experience. How about you? This was my first experience. I had never seen it. It never really appealed to me. I never really understood the allure. I'm surprised you're not like I asked you in the pre-production. Yeah. You're not a grindhouse guy I'm not, at all. I'm not. You watch a lot of horror movies that I, I would never watch. I do. You like the slasher genre, which this is. I kind love of the a slasher genre. Subversion of. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, the the whole the whole grindhouse idea of how it's just you know selling sex with really terrible acting and dialogue yeah. has never appealed to me. I, I could see that. Though. So, uh, uh, me yeah. neither. I've never really watched any exploitation films right. films whatsoever. Never seen the original Shaft even. Yeah, no, me you either. Know, me never either. seen any of them. So that's where I was and, and this just seemed like it was calling back to that, that's probably a feather in its cap to say that it's felt really authentic to what it wants to be a play on the grindhouse thank you yeah. right exactly <laughs> so yeah I just never I never as much of a Tarantino fan I was it came out when I was in college I just never got around to it never really sought it out to see it but having seen it now I'm sure I would have enjoyed it more if I did see it around the time it came out than ignorance after having, is bliss exactly than doing it chronologically in order of the, the way he directed films so let's dive into the production values then. We're going sight to sound. Cinematography, you know, this is the definition of a male gaze early on. This is fetishistic. Fetishistic? This is the first movie he was actually the director of photography on, Tarantino. Yeah, you get that very early on. And you don't necessarily get it throughout the movie. He, he eases up on it in a huge way once we get to know these characters. Mm-hmm. But right right at the beginning, we got feet, feet, butt, feet, butt, so feet, butt. So feet. Such just gross yeah. feet shit. It's, it's, it's slimy. It, you it's feel so slimy. Creepy. You feel slimy watching it. These girls are beautiful. Yeah. And it's not like we get upset. We're red-blooded men. We're straight guys. We're, we're not upset watching this at the same time. I'm upset watching the feet shit. I feel a little gross <laughs> speak for yourself you gross shit <laughs> I, mean, I can't the 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 and it's i guess it was cut of the grindhouse cut so it wasn't in the grindhouse cut but the scene where kurt russell is sneakily licking Rosario oh yeah Dawson's yeah feet. no that's my favorite scene no i no of course that's creepy <laughs> i couldn't take of course that. that's creepy yeah. it's the creepiest thing i'm like literally shuddering yeah. to watch the toys like, ah. <laughs> yeah no it's absolutely grotesque but at the same time these are beautiful why ones. does he have an obsession with feet we saw it in Jackie Brown. He's shooting the uh, the girl's feet there in, in uh, I almost called him Jules's apartment. It's Samuel L. Jackson's apartment. He does it throughout his history here. He's got some kind of obsession with women's feet. Him and Rex Ryan should never collaborate. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Michael. I don't know. I do know that the cinematography is really strong yes. in, uh, in the car chase scenes, really strong in the action. It's one of the best car chases yeah. ever. I, I think... A little less of it. I okay. like I like the storytelling of the car chase. I'll, I'll get into it later, but I, I do really enjoy the car chase. Yeah. And, you know, we just did the Mission Impossible films, and I think they're like three or four car chases better in those films. I'm just, you know, okay. in, in my opinion, especially Fallout, right? I mean, I, I was blown away by some of that. Oh, I would agree, but I would also put some of that stuff up there with, like, the greatest of all time, too, especially because right. it's so new. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm biased. VFX, these were all real stunts. Uh, stunt coordinator yeah. Jeff Dashnaw worked with his wife, Tracy Keen Dashnaw, who everybody praised as one of the greatest stunt drivers to ever live. Certainly Tarantino was all about her abilities, featuring her here. He also wanted to work with, since he started in Hollywood, the legendary stunt driver buddy Joe Hooker, who worked in... Burt Reynolds movies and a lot of famous movies that Tarantino grew up watching and loving that were not Grindhouse movies, but were car chases that he thought were the best ever from Vanishing Point. We'll get into all those homages, Mike. He took a lot of pride in that. There's a 20-minute video that I assume is part of the DVD extras. Right. It's that's on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yep. We both watched it. He took Tarantino, you can see he's beaming with pride about having the generations of the greatest stunt drivers and stunt workers all on set and all in certain frames together. Zoe he, Bell, Dashnaw, yeah. Hooker, and Chrissy Weathersby, who he thought was a real up-and-comer yeah. who launched her career with this. She wound up doing 73 credits to this point. She only had 10 credits to her name at the time. So that's really cool. He seems to actually care about getting her career started. He seems to actually care about honoring the profession. Again dichotomy of this man it's just infuriating good bad yeah. good bad asshole jerk Ugh. great guy Ugh. i don't know but it is awesome that he does cast uma's stunt double zoe bell and features her as a star of this movie yeah and she really is great. the star of this movie by the end of it which is a lot of fun and it's incredible for a showcase agree uh, absolutely agree the editing mic Really strong in places, especially during the finale. It's made for a lot of jokes early on that this we don't be, get, really. But. I, I think this is Sally Mackey's best work. Is it? Only because of the degree of difficulty where she has a history of editing jokes and editing yeah. Tarantino movies for jokes specifically. But she had to edit jokes and also edit purposefully bad and purposefully cut scenes that don't make sense. There's one scene where, where Stuntman Mike is at the bar and he's eating and he yeah. takes a drink and he's got the drink in his hand and it cuts to a scene where he's talking to Pam and the drink's out of his hand and then the scene cuts back and he's got the drink back in his Like that purposely bad editing that happens. She does that over and over and it plays... If nothing else, I guess I'll say, it lends the benefit of the doubt that anything that's on screen that could be considered a mistake, I at least chalked up to, well, that's purposeful. Because they wanted to pay homage to the Grindhouse Theater, which was low-rent, low-budget-type-looking movies. And there's low-hanging fruit involved. Yes. But you're, you're right. You can notice uh, the little details yeah. that, that are a lot of fun. <laughs> I didn't catch that with the drink. Yeah. I watched it a couple times. She's awesome. We've proved as much at this point in the rewatch. Great loss to the industry. Yeah, production design... Costume designs, those are highlights for me here as well. Did you find anything about why Icy Hot? Yeah, I didn't read it. I just I, I couldn't find it. anything, but but Stuntman Mike is where part of his getup is this big jacket with a giant Icy Hot logo. There is the something it. about it. Okay. It's from a movie, and I didn't include that okay. in my homages. I could pause in a few minutes from now and look at <laughs> it. I was just curious. I didn't because see Because now you've set me up for it. <laughs> Mike, I do think that Guero's is a, is a place I want to hang out in, right? <laughs> surprise. Isn't that a cool-ass bar, dive bar? The, the food looked great in this. I will Delicious agree. Delicious food! Yeah. <laughs> and we get to see him eat it, which is kind of gross, but it's kind of fun. And That's another thing. I want you nachos. Just, yeah, you linger on there's this 30 second clip of just Kurt Russell housing these nachos. Mm. Bizarre camera choices. <laughs> 
the cars are awesome. They have a Amazing. lot to do with the production design. They have a lot to do with callbacks yeah. to other great car chase movies. I'm not a car guy. I'm not either, but I think they're awesome. Yeah, they make you, even the non-car people like you and I, they make you think, if nothing else, oh, that's a fucking cool-looking car. (laughs) Muscle cars. (laughs) A lot of great jokes surrounding the cars. All right, so let's get into the soundtrack. What made Quentin dance? To me, this is one of his strongest soundtracks. I'll list off a couple here. Baby It's You by Smith, Jeepster by T-Rex, Lee by Pacific Gas and Electric, The Love You Save by Joe Tex, Good Love, Bad Love by Eddie Floyd, Down in Mexico by The Coasters, Hold Tight by Dave D. Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch, Chick Habit by April March. This is a great listen in terms of playlists. I try to fancy myself a... A connoisseur of music. I try not to. I know I am pop punk. That's my lane. I'm aware of this. But I do like to listen to all different kinds of genres of music. And one thing watching this Tarantino, I was raised on Golden Oldies by my father, driving sure. with him to this grocery store. That's all he would listen to. You know, I was raised on 60s and 70s stuff by my mother. So I thought I was well versed in a lot of different music. He keeps finding these gems that I've never had exposure to that they're total ass shakers. They're great songs that hold up after decades. I'm so familiar with these songs now. Because I've been listening because to of them the movies from the last twelve right. years on my iPod to Spotify, right. but before that, you're absolutely right. He basically unearths all these great songs that we all forgot, mm-hmm. and that it meant so much to him growing up or from a movie or whatever. So I totally agree with that. Now, what made him dance the most? Do you think? Do you have a pick? I'm- I hope. <laughs> I hope it wasn't down in Mexico. Yes. I think it was. I think it was, too. <laughs> I think they went over the dance between him and Felito there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he was probably dancing in between takes. So this is... Just the, hamming it up. This is this the song that Butterfly, Arlene, whatever you want to call that character, ends up giving a lap dance to Kurt Russell's stuntman Mike's character, too. This is another scene Mike and I both watched. We probably should have started this, but Mike and I both watched the extended version right. of Death Proof for this recording. That scene was not in Grindhouse. Right. That's another one of the scenes that was cut from Grindhouse, along with the Kurt Russell licking of Rosario Dawson's feet scene, I guess was cut from Grindhouse. The so, cut of the big lap dance was funny, though. When I, when I was watching, I remember laughing at that. I can't... I mean, just think about her getting ready. I don't know how she wasn't laughing the entire time. I mean, it's sexy. She can move. She can dance. But it's just so over-the-top absurd. I don't know how neither she nor Kurt Russell was... I don't know how they got a good take. We are silly, uh, immature fools. that's true, too. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know how real adults behave either. (laughs) I agree with you. I hope it wasn't that song that made him dance. Now, if the Dave D. Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch song... (laughs) Equally disturbing. ...made him dance... Because that's his featured song in here. Right. Equally disturbing. We'll get into that. <laughs> All right. So we both have the same answer. Well, let's get into the performances. It was absolutely down in Mexico. <laughs> I'm quick on the performances here because I believe that it's some of the best work of all these acting careers. Uh, other than wow, Mary, okay. other than Mary Elizabeth Winstead, obviously Kurt Russell. A lot of these actors, I remember them from this movie. I'll tell you what was good about a lot of these performances is that. Take the over-sexualization of them out of it. You know, that part I, I don't agree with. But there's a lot of, like, Jungle Julia's character. Yeah. 
I felt like that was just a reflection. Those lines were delivered so cool and calmly How would, and did she articulated not so well. The it, biggest yeah. star in the world. It, it just seemed like it was just her turned up to 11. That actress turned up to 11. So it seemed like a lot of these performances were just that. They were just the real versions of the actresses delivering the lines turned up to an 11 or a 12. One of the rare Tarantino movies that didn't launch careers. Yeah, surprisingly. Because it was the flop. And so it, very surprisingly. Very, very strange. Now, all that being said, Kurt Russell is phenomenal in this. Madman. Total madman. He's a lunatic. Yeah. He's he's charming. He's another charming villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's funny. He's funny in a way that you're not expecting him to be funny. Yeah. So I, I loved a lot of scenes, especially in the second half of this, of involving that second group of girls. That should have been the two hours for yeah. me. I, I, I had a, a lot of my problems are with the first half and, and how the first group of girls is handled and treated and ultimately how they're dealt with. Now, is that the necessary evil of it? Right. Of the genre? That's the argument. In yeah. a way. I mean, you watch a Michael Myers movie, you right. know what you're getting for... I, I totally agree. Right. I mean, where's the line? And again, we, it goes back to talking about the Jessica Chastain quote of how, do we need, is it necessary to abuse female characters to have a Phoenix moment, as she coined it in that tweet when she was criticizing Tarantino? That's the argument that's probably going to plague the movie industry for years to come as well. I w- I'm curious if the exploitation genre had a lot of this in it. I don't know. I don't know either. Like, did the best exploitation films have a narrative in it that you could say at the end of it, all right, these, they were put through hell. Whoever was being exploited, put through hell, but they come out on the other side. They and ended up winning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is that involved in those exploitation films? I don't know. You, somebody tell us. We, we, we're just not exposed to those no, movies. No, we don't have a lot, we don't have a lot no of idea. history with it, yeah. All right, let's dive into some homages here for the non-spoiler script thoughts. Musically first, The Last Race by Jack Nietzsche from was from Village of the Giants in 1965. Paranoia Prima, here he, he, he's working with Ennio Morricone. Again, this was from the Cat of Nine Tales, Dario Argento film in 71. I saw someone on Reddit call this Tarantino's Giallo movie. I thought that was an interesting take. Where's the blood? Yeah, well, there you're right. Blood. Some, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, well, it definitely has the Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. He definitely has the Dario Argento red paint blood. Yeah, involved. right. So that makes some sense. Yeah. And he loves Argento. Anyway, uh, Sally and Jack by Pino DiNaggio was from Blowout, 1981. It's so easy. Mink Deville was from Cruising in 1980. Riot and Thunder Alley by Eddie Baram was from Thunder Alley in 1967. So. Obviously, the biggest homage is to exploitation cinema. That goes without saying. Most of the dialogue is similar to that in the setup of the movie. You got a slasher film in this latter half, but it's Tarantino's subversion on a slasher film in the latter half, or the slasher film in general. And it is that, certainly. And this is definitely the pacing of a slasher movie. There's a bunch more homages that I learned about from the Tarantino archives. This is the Death Proof Movie References Guide uh, on their website, wiki.tarantino.info. Go check them out. They're awesome. Everything they do is awesome. We've been looking at them a lot throughout this rewatch. So in the first minute of the film, Mike, Tarantino already references Thunder Alley, Soldier Blue, Paranoia, and American Hot Wax. Four movies, one minute of the movie. Between the posters on the wall, between what uh, she's wearing, uh, it's crazy. The duck on the car is from Sam Peckinpah's Convoy in 1970. 
<laughs> and then get this, the license plates yeah. on the cars in the second half of the movie reference Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and Steve McQueen's bullet. How cool is that? That's crazy. Stuntman Mike's photography comes from Dario Argento's The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That's a the same kind of villain that does the same kind of thing in that movie. The Robert Frost poem was used to activate spies in 1977's Telephone. That's really cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Then there are literal references in the movie to other things. Big Wednesday, Cannonball Run, Pretty in Pink, Tom Jode's character from The Grapes of Wrath, Gone in 60 Seconds, the good, the old version, not the new version, The Virginian, etc., etc., all building towards the big speeches about Vanishing Point by Zoe Bell, uh, Kurt Russell, etc. There was an article I read, I think it was Rolling Stone, where he the writer honed in on Quentin Tarantino's movie nights and how he has his own cinema. He basically, this is back in 2007, 2008, he had a bachelor pad and the biggest piece, there was posters from old movies on the floor, but the biggest piece de la resistance of where he lived was this giant screening room. And he would often invite famous friends over just to have movie nights. And the point the, the author was making was that Death Proof is the closest any of us will get to what it feels like to have a movie night with Quentin Tarantino because apparently in these movie nights he would have Edgar Wright over, he'd have other famous directors and actors over. In these movie nights they would stay up to all hours just watching these B and C list movies. So this is like nearest and dearest to Tarantino's heart apparently. So I can't imagine it probably didn't take him a second thought to reference all these things and you talk about how he had listed off four B grade movies all in the first minute. It probably just came naturally to him as like drinking a cup of water. I guess he grew up on the stuff, yeah. and you listen to all the actors talk about their preparation. It was basically going over Quentin's and watching like seven bad yeah. movies in a row. Yeah. They all keep saying the same thing. So yeah, I, I can see that. All right, I'm, I found the icy hot reference. Oh, good. Basically, okay. no, it's not good. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Tarantino Wiki here. You did a great job with everything else, but basically they just said, yeah, icy hot is referenced. Sure is. <laughs> icy well, hot is a rub. Pain-relieving rub. Let me tell you something, Mike. <laughs> Can't argue with facts. <laughs> and that's a goddamn fact. That's a fact. <laughs> Icy Hot exists. <laughs> so I lied earlier. I didn't remember it being from a movie. It's not from a movie. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so the last thing I wanted to talk about in non-spoiler script thoughts is a bit of a production nugget. Tarantino was buying a car, Mike, in the mid-'90s, and he was afraid of dying in a car crash at that time. So he wanted to get a stunt team to death-proof whatever car he bought. Who knows if he actually did it. He wound up going with a Volvo because he thought it was the safest car out there. And he decided this lingered in his mind, and he decided to make a slasher film with this as the weapon okay. later on. So, to recap what you just said, <laughs> this man was scared of dying in a car crash? Yes. And he did what to Uma Thurman on the set of Kill Bill? Right. Uh-huh. And then he made this movie. And then he made this movie yeah. after his guilt complex reached 11. <laughs> <laughs> no Oscar lens, correct? Okay, just for fun, though. Sally. 2007 was right. the 2008 Academy Awards. This right. was the No Country for Old Men year. If you gun to your head, if you had to pick a category, cinematography, directing, any of the performances, best picture, what would be your pick? At the Oscars my pick would be editing at the Grammys. The obvious pick would be soundtrack compilation. <laughs> Fair. That, that's the best soundtrack that he's had thus far, in my opinion. Other than maybe Kill Bill 1 was pretty awesome. I agree. I do think that the editing 
has to do with best pictures though. They don't nominate editing from non best pictures usually. Usually this this year might have been an exception because the winner for film editing and this is shocking to me. The Bourne Ultimatum won Best Film Editing at the Academy so Awards action 2008. Film, action Film yeah. won it. We just saw Baby Driver get nominated recently. Uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Into the Wild, No Country for Old Men Again, and There Will Be Blood, the other four nominees there. I think I agree. I think editing is where I would probably stake my claim, too. But, again, we say there's no Oscar lens because the Academy in 2019, some 12 years later, still is not progressive enough to accept this type of movie. And, and this is actually, they would have to be regressive. I would argue, to embrace this type of movie for their Academy Awards. I just don't think this movie's on the level with his other films. Tarantino just came out... A lot out, of people agree with you. He just came out with a couple of... I don't know if these are old articles or not, but he thinks this is his worst movie. Yeah, he has said that. He said he's proud of his flop. Like I said, that's from the Telegraph. And he's also gone on record saying he's this is probably the worst movie he did. I think he said that during a 2012 Hollywood Reporter roundtable with other directors. So he knows. And like I said... We get a lot of our information, we read up on Reddit, we read up on Tarantino Wiki online, we read up on all these places, and there's a lot of hardcore fans that say, no question, this is not, this is his worst movie. That doesn't even take into account the reasons that I have, the issues we have with it, you know? So. True. Are we ready to uh, dance? Let's go to the theater. (laughs) And now for your spoiler warning pleasure... The Mike Mike and Oscar Theatre Company presents a Quentin Tarantino scene reenactment interpretation. Stuntman Mike yanks a homemade metal lever that slides a metal bar into place, locking both doors, then starts up his powerful machine. Pam smiles at the excitement of this trembling machine. He slides into the car first and pulls up to the highway. Well, Pam, which way are you going? Right. Ah, that's too bad. Thriller music sting happens on the soundtrack, still smiling. Why? Well, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. You see, we're both going left, and... You could have just as easily been going left, too, and if that was the case, then it would have been a while before you would have started getting scared. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid you're going to have to get scared immediately. In the spoiler section for the Quentin Tarantino movie Death Proof as part of the Tarantino Rewatch series brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Go watch it. We'll be waiting for you when you come back to hit play on us. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear about what happens or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing what happens, this is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time for Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof from 2007 as part of the Tarantino Rewatch series. Brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Michael, we start with trademark Tarantino stuff, and let's talk about some classic Tarantino things that happened in this movie. Yeah, this is a way of talking about some of our best scenes, and I do think the most classic thing about this script is the dialogue. I would highly doubt a lot of these lines are from Grindhouse movies. I think he's putting his dialogue, maybe the setups are similar. Elevated Grindhouse dialogue. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely elevated to Tarantino dialogue. Because I'm recognizing Tarantino dialogue. So the opening scene where Julia and Shanna and Butterfly are kind of at each other's throats, that's a 
kind of you know a call back to the pulp fiction scene mm-hmm. with jules and uh john travolta there you have the role playing with marcy at the bar oh you did did you oh you do <laughs> do you i love the repetition of that that's musical that's something we've come to expect you have you know dual meanings with you know his character quentin tarantino's character warren says it we do it so let's do it that's effed up but yep <laughs> it's it's very you know akin to his other stuff quite an understated role he made for himself in this movie best scene of this movie in my opinion is the flirtation between stuntman mike and butterfly the best dialogue scene anyway you know the leading into the lap dance with the robert frost poem i thought that was a great scene that's a great back and forth a lot of charged uh things going on between the two of them it's incredible. It reminded me of, I have that down as classic Tarantino, too, when Stuntman Mike's asking, do I frighten you? And that's straight from Jackie Brown, when Jackie Brown's talking to her confidant there, right. and she asked him the exact same question. It reminded me of that. Like, there are two people that are getting along, and there's some sort of sexual tension between them, And but one of them definitely has, a, I hate to say this, but like a uh, an intimidation over the other. Is it my scar? Yeah. It's your car. Sorry, it's my mom's <laughs> car. That's a great back and forth, and that's effed up by the this predator yeah. who's trying to you know get him get these girls in his trap here. Uh, I also think talking about Dave D. Dozy, Beaky Mick, and Titch that is so indulgent of Tarantino. I mean, he's got to have a whole big thing on the formation of this group because he says that that character of of Julia is like the music version of him knowing everything about movies. So of course she's got to go on the big rant about the band name so sick having that be the lead up to this oh, gruesome i love crash. that group so much i was really sad when they crashed <laughs> i was really sad like i remember watching this for the first time i was like what the hell i can't believe <laughs> yeah. he killed him five times in five cuts and oh my god we, we had to see him all get killed jesus i've never seen that before yeah. and in this movie i'm into these characters i really love these characters so it was a downer it was a downer to see them go yeah i i agree i wasn't as crazy about them i did love jungle julia I, I thought she was fantastic. I was sad to see her go on just a gruesome leg chopping off. That whole crash. To show that over and over again and then just get down and gritty with what happens. And that's yeah, I guess you could say that's un-Tarantino, but it's, it's kind of... It's a more realistic, hyper-violenced version of what he did in Kill Bill. Kill Bill, the violence is there, but it's kind of cartoonish with all the blood squirting as high as it does and the limbs falling off so easily. I mean, this kind of looked real, and it was just almost desensitized violence because it was so over the top. It was gross, yeah. with, especially with the leg flopping around yeah. on the pavement. Oh, good God. Yeah. Uh, you have any more classic, Mike? I do. He was playing with the title cards again, and mm-hmm. much like he did with the Kung Fu movie and the Kung Fu aspect of the Kill Bill movie, Kill Spider Volume 1 especially, getting into this movie, he plays with the title cards, like this is a grindhouse cinema. He has the two different names. This is Quentin Tarantino's Thunderbolt, and then just a blank screen that says Death Proof, because grindhouse movies apparently change their names all throughout, because once, <laughs> once they were reviewed, and they were panned by critics they would sometimes change their names so they would stay in rotation at different cinemas he plays that very well and this the same homages to grindhouse is seen throughout the especially the first group of four girls where the film is scratched out and edited out and scenes are missing it's very given that old retro movie feel he's being purposefully respectful of the subgenre that he's trying to call back to so i thought that was kind of cool and he does that consistently no matter what genre he's trying to capitalize on this is something I guess this is kind of classic Tarantino too. It's something I brought up to you. He's taking all these different subgenres that aren't that don't have a, a serious footing in America, and he's trying to just be the guy that's the best at them. Like, there's not a huge American kung fu 
library of movies to pick from, but he made the best one in Kill Bill. There's not a huge library of great grindhouse films that you would, but this is probably the best grindhouse movie you'll see. He's taking genres that aren't really popular anymore and bringing them back to the forefront to kind of say, I've made the best version of that. He even started out with Pulp Fiction, yeah. which is based on old comics right. and old novels. Right. I, even though, obviously, you got film noir, but he's not remaking a film noir no, with Pulp not, Fiction. Not he's that. not remaking a hard-boiled detective story no. with Pulp Fiction. He's remaking those pulp stories from the, the page. I would actually say that maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the biggest subgenre that he's attacked yet, because there's a lot of movies about yeah. Hollywood. You got Sunset Boulevard. Right. You sure. great movies. Right. And so now he's trying to make the best movie. He's like stepping up in genre, which or subgenre, I guess. Yeah, so that's Django, kind of Spaghetti Western, yeah. and Glorious Bastards, though Men on a Mission movie. That's a little bigger if you consider it a war movie. Maybe it was better than Monuments Men. It was better than Monuments <laughs> Men. All right, so let's get into the underrated stuff. We've been calling it the sneaky classic up till now. I do think that stuntman Mike stalks his prey like the Dario Argento slashers, Michael Myers in a way. This is not much different than how other characters have done this. Jules has a long preamble before he shoots somebody in Pulp Fiction. You have the Predator basically enjoying what they're doing playing with their food in a way it's, yeah. it's a gross way to talk about it but stuntman mike has to have x y and z happen to him with these girls before he can stage the car crash he's a gross person right oh. he's just like the grossest of the gross and so that's where the tension comes in between okay if you're gonna have a gross antagonist and you're going to make a grindhouse movie which is built on sexploitation where is the line for appropriate anyway? You know, and that's where the argument comes in. Does it have to be over the top grossness? Well, maybe it does for this type of movie. I, I don't know. The crazy part about it and what makes it so Tarantino is that he humanizes these characters with so much of his writing ability. You have him making Stuntman Mike as charming and as articulate and as uh, he has as many things you like about him yeah. as you'll obviously you'll hate. You have more things you like about him, in fact. Because you don't see what you really hate about yeah, him until it's just that the thing you have to hate about him is so hateable, so right? Hateable. Once it comes out, but to to in that vein, underrated Tarantino. Speaking of stuff we like about Stuntman Mike, his cadence when he's in the bar and talking to Pam for the first time and talking to Warren Tarantino's character, his cadence is very calm. It's Bill like. It's yeah. this exact same delivery that Bill has in Kill Bill. It's calm. It's very knowledgeable. It's soothing almost, and he's very just laid back he's just a guy just here to eat nachos and drink some water and fool around with the camaraderie at the bar that gives that the bar gives you yeah i thought that was important so what's your first uh, underrated sneaky classic thing here mike my underrated sneaky classic is the long gratuitous shots of the conversations going on between both sets of girls he does this in reservoir dogs to kind of start too even though yep. there's multiple conversations going i saw a lot of people online complaining about this i expect a lot of people to complain about it because god forbid we let women do what men do in movies right but he lets these girls fraternize about each other he lets them talk about sex and about boys and about different things they're going through in life I think I think I like the second group of four or three right, women of course, better yeah. than the first group talking about it because the first group was so over-sexualized with what they're talking about. But the second group of four women, they have brunch together. They're shooting the shit. They're getting to know each other. And it's letting us familiarize ourselves and relate to them. It's a big deal for this movie because you kind of there's a test, not a Rorschach test, but something like that, where you put a male-written script 
you know, to that test. And if, if you're writing female characters that only talk about male characters, you fail the test. The Bechdel test. Thank you. Yeah. The first group of girls, they fail that test initially. The right. second group of girls only fail that test in maybe one out of, you know, seven or eight big scenes. Mm-hmm. Maybe two out of seven or eight big scenes. For the most part, they're given other topics to talk about. They're given they're talking about their work, their careers, their friendship with one another. That's a big deal yeah. because POV, that's my second sneaky classic thing about this script. Oh, cool. Tarantino puts us in the POV not of the killer but of the, well, always of the killer, actually. Because in the first half, you're basically <laughs> stuntman Mike and you're skulking around. Mm-hmm. And in the second half, you don't think you're in the POV of the killer, but the girls are actually the killer. When you oh, go yeah. black and white, when you go black and white, that's what, when you're with that's stuntman, stuntman Mike. Mike's, yeah. But once she recognizes that that car across the street, there's something wrong with that car, you go color again. Yeah. And that's Tarantino playing with uh, POV. I'll talk about screenwriting rules, the video that kind of referenced uh, something similar that it does with other movies. But Tarantino is all about the audience's journey, and the audience has to have a journey that's not through Peeping Tom, right? The camera right. that's on the girls the yeah. whole time. The, the audience is going to be put in the POV of the heroes who are the killers in the second half, and thank God for that. Yeah, and can you imagine how gross it would have been if you're only going through stuntman Mike's POV for the entire movie. In a movie where you're already hypersexualizing everything and yeah. you're already abusing these women, it, it would have been too much. It's not my genres, man. I've never seen Peeping Tom. Yeah. I've never seen uh, the the ones about the serial killers where you're just in the... Pe- like, right. I can't do it. Henry, I, Portrait of a Killer. Henry, Portrait stuff, of a yeah. Killer, can't do yeah. it. The uh, Frodo, Elijah Wood movie, the Maniac yeah. movie, never seen it. And I'm definitely not going to watch the Lars von Trier movie because blah. Well, your point is well taken, and then it's only exasperated by the the idea that if you were to do that in a sexploitation film, my God, like what? it's over, it's OD and yeah, on, right? Exactly. It's at that point, it's like messing with it, people. I agree. I would agree. So that's that's probably a deliberate choice by him. If it is, it's a smart one. What about for un-Tarantino stuff, Mike? So un-Tarantino, number one, the abrupt violence is really not abrupt. It's been abrupt in other movies. Mm-hmm. Here, it's really built up, which is a little different. You got a lot of talk beforehand, which is, again, a little different. And you have reversals with the violence, which is fun. Yeah. But, but it happens mid-sequence, which is fun, and that's different. I mean, the biggest un-Tarantino thing is we haven't seen a car chase like this from him, and I thought it's not necessarily one of the best ever, but it's one of the best of the decade, I would say. It's a really great car chase. I, I loved it. I thought it was well choreographed and went well well done and well put on screen. I absolutely agree that it's not something that he would do, but again, he wants to make a great chase movie, so he's going to make a great chase movie, and that's I, what he did. I love the storytelling of it, because yeah. you have the girls doing the crazy gearhead stunt person that. thing with the ship's mast. You have the whole setup of that. To have her actually on the hood that entire time is lunacy. Lunacy. Absolute lunacy. I know she was tied down, but even if you crash the car, yeah. she's done for. That's it. great that she was tied down. Who cares? <laughs> tied down for some of it. Some yeah. of it, she's not uh, tied down. Some of it, she's like insanity. doing ship's mast. And that's when my problem comes in, where she, I mean, we're talking about ship's mast is the game they play where essentially they tie belts around either car door, the front and the passenger car door, and Zoe gets on the hood of the car and she just wants to be basically a ship's flag flapping in the breeze as the car goes down. This was an actual stunt that was pulled off. Tarantino's stunt coordinator apparently didn't want to do it at first. And so Tarantino kind of said, all right, try it at 30 miles an hour. You got it at 30 miles an hour, try try doing it at 45. Up to 70 miles an hour, which is what they actually filmed at, I guess. Okay, like, 
hearing that story in 2008 and 2009, it's a fun anecdote. Hearing that story in 2019, after hearing what happened on the set of Kill Bill, it's like, what the fuck are you thinking? He's not thinking in a modern way. I mean, we just, I mean, you're a lawyer too. So yeah. you're listening to that and you're like, Jesus, yeah. the case I yeah. made against you. You idiot. Somebody got hurt. And I, I would agree. Like you're pushing the boundaries of it on purpose to get this crazy shot that you want. And it's, it's dangerous and it's reckless. And he's getting away with it here with professional stunt drivers. Couldn't get away with anything on the last movie for a good reason. Right. But you, you wonder how much did he, did he actually get away with that he hasn't talked about. Well, that kind of, my, what, my takeaway from is now is that we talked about all last episode was he apologizing because he actually felt bad or was he apologizing just to call, cover his ass when the Me Too movement came calling? If you're just a couple years removed from doing that to your close per, per, personal friend, Uma Thurman, and yeah. you, your call is to do it again and write a movie around it and have her stunt double be the... You're not... I, what part of you feels bad about what happened on Kill Bill? What proof is there that you actually have remorse about what went down? It, it, it feels like he's doubling down in a way. Yeah. At the same time, at least now he's working with, with trained stunt people. professionals. Right. That's a big difference. It's still asking people to risk their right. lives for his art, which is scary. I mean, of anyone you could have asked, any stunt person in the world you could have asked to fill that role, you're picking Uma Thurman's stunt double? He's definitely working through some <laughs> shit. There's no <laughs> doubt about it, and that's a bit un-Tarantino. Yeah. A couple more little things I had that were un-Tarantino. Yeah. Obviously, all the Grindhouse continuity errors, that's you know unique to the, the genre there. How about having a film that's just... One linear film that's beginning to end. That's on Tarantino. Holy shit. I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. that. No, you're right. We have an actual film here. Not Absolutely. jumping around. We're not jumping around in time. Jackie Brown really didn't jump around much, but at the, the whole at the stuff, end, yeah, the whole third act right. did. You're right. Um, Stuntman Mike eating that whole plate of nachos. We've never seen food porn from Tarantino <laughs> such, before. Such a gratuitous shot. The, there's product placement that's so blatant with a wild turkey and chartreuse yeah. and... You know, icy hot on the back of his shirt there, on his, on his jacket. Look, I mean, he went from color to black and white and to red and to blue silhouette and Kill Bill Volume 1, but we do go from black and white, white to color. That's not really something he's done before. That's a new trick. And finally, I don't know where he thought of this for, but the whole sneeze, you know, Stuntman Mike finishing a scene trying to sneeze and he can't. <laughs> I love that. I loved it. I mean, it's very serial murdery. Like it's it's a metaphor for impotence. In oh wow! You know, I've seen you've seen yeah. things done like that with the serial killer genre. I uh, I was surprised that he went there with it. I mean, it's a little literally on the nose, but I think it was clever. I think it worked. I just thought it added to the realism of the dialogue. Like, how many conversations have you had where someone's like, "Hang on, I got to sneeze." Oh shit, I lost it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like that's just—it's really weird. It just invests you more, I thought. But yeah, the whole—the whole him being a murderer thing comes into play too, I guess. <laughs> but it's—it is messed up that uh, every dialogue scene with him ends with his kind of humiliation in a way, and, and he leads it there almost. I know he gets some great moments throughout. He gets a lot of flirtation going right. on, but he do, it does, and then that's kind of like showing, in a way. You know, sins committed. Because for a slasher movie, you have people committing sins. They're they're drinking, they're partying, they're not screwing. You know, you don't have the the total eighty slasher movie no. cliche of 
you know, the sex leads to death kind of thing. Yeah. But you have some of it going on here. Definitely. And and basically male humiliation leads to death. That, that, again, we just talked about. Horrible, horrible death. Yeah. yeah, We talked about punishment, not fitting crimes and other recent movies that we reviewed. I won't even spoil it, but. We've been talking about this recently, <laughs> and this is another case of it. Uh, the only other un-Tarantino thing I had is that for the first time, or at least what I think is the first time, what made that crash, the first crash, so disgusting and violent and shocking is that for the first time, we were kind of ahead of the protagonists. Yeah. And a lot of Tarantino's movies, because they're shot out of order, we've highlighted this, you've highlighted this a bunch, you know that the protagonist is going to be okay. You know that the bride makes it out of the, the being buried alive in Kill Bill Volume 2 because we saw the beginning of that movie was her driving towards Bill, being right. done with the Bud character. That's happened a lot throughout throughout his filmography because he's telling this one in a linear fashion. We know Stuntman Mike is on the road after this first car of four girls, and they don't know that yet. Yeah. So even for that one moment in time, we're actually ahead of our main characters, which doesn't really happen that often, at least he, not so far. He doesn't work in suspense that often. Yeah. He doesn't work for those goods that often. But here, yeah, he does it, and it, it's a huge payoff. It's a gross payoff. Gross, yeah. But it's it's quite the spectacle, and it's something that we haven't seen before. Like, I don't remember ever seeing a car crash movie where we have to watch every car, Jesus every person Christ. get killed in the car crash. It's, it's It'll scary wake you up. Now. It's, it's really scary. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. You know, you give him credit for getting through that, and you dr- I drive a little slower today <laughs> on my way here. No question about it. Worst scenes that we've hit on a bunch already. Yep. You know, this movie's a bit of a relic because it's calling back to, you know, the the relic genre there. So the mm-hmm. chauvinism is drastic. It's painful to watch. It's slimy. It's gross. We've mentioned this. Agreed. It's a tough watch. Yeah, it is. Very tough. You, maybe if we rewatched a bunch of old slasher movies, we would feel the same way. Oh, I... Yes, we would. I know for a fact. There's the time has not treated them well. Now this one, it's it's almost an unfair comparison because this one has its ties directly to Harvey Weinstein, which is a whole other level of wrong. So, and we've highlighted in that. We've talked about that at length in our last episode. So that comes into play, and it's hard for it not to. So the biggest worst that I have that's something new is they leave Mary Elizabeth Winstead with that gross guy, and we're like all okay with it. It's like a gag. WTF. Yeah, but he's from Adam Sandler movies. We could trust him, right? We can trust him the way he's standing <laughs> no, over. Oh I, my I, uh, god. The only thing I did like about that is that this is supposed to be B B cinema and you know, also ran and low budget movie making. And she actually she knows she's in trouble. She just goes she says gulp. She does. I, I thought that was funny. But you're right, that's a very off putting scene, without question. Finally, in that car chase, Mike, worst for me is that you have other cars going around the two that are just duking it out to the death that are crashing, crashing, crashing. And there's one moment where the, it's the dumbest thing ever. Cause if you and I were ever on the road and we saw two old muscle cars, one with a skull on its front attacking <laughs> the other one from death proof, get the hell not, out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you stop and call the cops immediately? Wouldn't you do that immediately? That's the rational thing to do. Yes. Wouldn't 10 people do that immediately. I wouldn't say, Oh, maybe I could squeak by and get on my way. <laughs> Gotta beat traffic. Yeah, Gotta no, get to the Applebee's. Yeah. What the hell are they doing? Well, in terms of strategy, also, with the main characters, slam on the brakes once, maybe? Don't try to outrun this car that's obviously got a better motor than you and is keeping up with you all the way. If your friend's on the hood of the car, maybe just tap the brakes, slow down, get her down by the time it takes for this other car to turn around and face you. Yeah, I didn't like that either. The fact that the Skull car, his car, 
is faster than them, proven faster than them early on, and then the second half they're able they're to catch up with him easily. Easily, yeah. like their car is obviously the faster one. Did his car get damaged? We didn't see. We, I mean, we see it get damaged, but again, does more that, than them. Do you chalk that up to just the illogical, uh, the illogical logic, for lack of a better term, of grindhouse cinemas where they don't pay attention to objections like those? Maybe I don't it's know. a great sequence. Right. I'm not going to nitpick too much, but that's definitely a pick. To yeah. Nit. Mike, do you have any worse here? Uh, yeah, just as a meta worst, we have two groups of four women each talking about men and having sex and all their day-to-day activities and what they go through as women. Have we, you and I, ever been more ill-equipped to critique a couple scenes in a movie than we are with these ones and not being able to relate to eight beautiful women talking about what they do in their day-to-day lives and the hardships they face? No, and they're and they're being they're surrounded by wolves throughout this. It's yeah, it's not our worldview. I mean, it's it's not Tarantino's worldview no, either. Not. But he does work with beautiful women all the time. We don't understand the level to which this stalking goes on in real life, and the fact that it's been yeah. blown open so often now in the news as a good thing. This movie does not age well. For that oh reason. God, no, no, not at all, and, and it and won't going for forward. reasons different than we've talked about. Other Tarantino movies lose points over time. It, it, the dialogue in this isn't using any of those terribly offensive words, but it's just the way women are treated in this. And again, look, it's a tough tightrope to walk because how how far is too far for something that's a throwback and a callback, specifically made to to homage the type of media and the type of cinema that was gross and gross towards women specifically. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's really hard. Now, did the actresses all sign on for this and know what they were getting into and consent? Were some of them too scared to speak up because they know it's Quentin Tarantino they're dealing with? I haven't seen any stories that suggest that. I don't know, but... It's tough. I mean, this is a tough job that we have that we chose to do here. And it's a tough tightrope to walk. So, uh, you know, I I just hope that everything is above board from what we saw. Because if there isn't, it's really going to be tough to explain away objecting over somebody's concerns for this movie. Never mind for Kill Bill, where we already had that circumstance happen once. But for in a movie where it's purposefully displayed that women are treated a certain way... I mean, if any actress spoke up, if it were to come out in 10 years that some actress, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, had issues with some scene and was coerced into it by Quentin... I mean, that's... It's going to be awful. And we won't blame him. No, of course not. Of course not. We'll be upset with Quentin. At the end of the day, we we see a behavior, a pattern of behavior that is freaking us out, and he didn't learn from the... This should have been a lawsuit. Whereas, if he actually got sued, or if he actually had to pay damages and... Maybe he could have learned yeah. from that, you know. If the, if the justice... well, jail exists, you know. I mean, jail is a deterrent, right? That's what. That's the whole original concept of the institution right. of jail. It's to d- deter people from repeating the action. But even the humiliation of pushing that stunt, it blowing up in his face, and, and even if he totally had the mea culpa 10, 15 years earlier, and I think that would have been good for him, and I think he would have probably agreed now that he wished he would have done that. You know? And now he's going to cover the Sharon Tate murder. I have no idea. No. I, mean, I have no idea how that's going to go. If that's going to go that way or not. We're, we're, listen, I mean, we're going to learn <laughs> very soon, in like three weeks, 
about just how much of him learning these lessons that he said he has learned has seeped into his filmmaking. Right. And uh, we're going to find that out for ourselves. Last three segments real quick. I kind of did all my screenwriting advice from Quentin Tarantino already. I'll just give you the quote, which is from the beginning of a 50-minute compilation on film school, or excuse me, nofilmschool.com about all of Tarantino's writing advice. So I'm probably going to reference this for the next few. I just found it. Uh, references for the next few Tarantino rewatches, and it's it's the clip from his like first movie, the infamous Top Gun. What's it really about? And that's what he says at the beginning. What's it really about? You want subversion on a massive level, and then he goes into the Top Gun rant, which is whatever. We have a slasher film here, but this is Tarantino's version of a slasher film. Yes, and I think that is very creative for him to make a slasher film in this way, from him for him to make it a female empowerment story, for him to weaponize the final girls the way he does here and, and to change it. Into Which is their... important to, to know. I mean, we didn't touch on that, but it's important to note. At the end of this movie, the three girls beat the shit out of stuntman Mike. Yeah, and you got male gaze early, and you do not have male gaze late. You have these girls kicking ass and, and killing the shit out of him, thankfully, in, in, a, in a grindhousey way, mm-hmm. and in a slasher movie fantasy almost. We yeah. don't get this very often in sl- slasher films. We get it more recently than than we used to. Yes, we, bar- we get them barely surviving mm-hmm. for for with a moment of courage. But here you have you want to kill that bastard? Hell yeah, uh, yeah. Let's go get him. Yeah, so that that is very different. That is a deconstruction of the genre. Uh, that is something that he did with Reservoir Dogs, making a heist movie without the heist slasher movie without the slasher. You know, really inflicting fear upon them but one of our best one of my best scenes in the movie is when kurt russell starts crying i love just, that that was that hilarious the big bully turns out to be a coward the big bully the is a coward shit. yeah and that, that is something that you know he's exposing like these he got to gets a boo-boo he right. gets shot in the arm a flesh wound there He's out of commission, and he's totally... Uh, all of the fire is out of him. Yeah, I mean, that's the entire... That is the whole frustration, is right. that there's so much good that he does pack, and so much progressive statements that he does pack into even something like this. Sure. But again, it's the Jessica Chastain thing. Do we need to abuse our female characters for them to get to their Phoenix moment? The problem with this genre is that all the characters yes, you do. are right. abused. right. Throughout and in a revenge movie, you can't make a grindhouse. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I guess go back. I mean, go back to any revenge movie mm-hmm. like Braveheart. Or if yep. you have a revenge premise, you know William Wallace is abused before whatever it is. Charles Bonson, whatever. Laurie Strode from Halloween. Yeah, I, I get they, it. They always are. I get and it. That's the genre, and unfortunately, you don't like talking about genre, but that, that the tight kind of story that it is. The, all those stories yeah. play out the You're same right. way. You're right. Absolutely right. Mike, you got some Easter eggs and some connections to the Tarantino-verse. Yeah, so the Tarantino-verse stuff I kind of touched on already. I will just end on saying that the wiki, the Tarantino wiki that we do reference quite often, has said that this is a realer-than-real universe movie, so that these people do actually exist. I guess that's kind of brought to the attention by the two cops that keep showing up in different Tarantino films, so I guess that makes sense. So for those of you hoping to run into, you know... a jungle Julia, if she survived that crash, she's out there. That'd be cool if she's a DJ in this upcoming film. I would I, like that. I, I yeah, don't know. know. I didn't look at the cast. I don't want any of those. Big well, I don't spoilers. think she, you know, because the timeline wouldn't match up. Because this is obvious. This Hollywood movie's got to be in 1969, 1970 something, and this Grindhouse movie was in. They had cell phones. <laughs> that's all I know. That's true. Yeah. That's true, even though you think it's older because of the cars. I was shocked when she whipped out the cell phone for the first time. Like, what? <laughs> this is a present-day movie? <laughs> so the doctor from Planet Terror is the same doctor here in uh, Death Proof. 
And obviously the cops are in both movies, so that's something you, you don't know about because you didn't watch Planet so Terror. So then Planet Terror must be a realer than real movie, too. Perhaps, man. So those, Rose McGowan with a machine gun. Those words don't mean a lot to me. <laughs> if you haven't noticed by now, I don't understand. I don't buy that whole <laughs> coinciding universes things, and I kind of roll my eyes whenever Tarantino talks about it. <laughs> I'm just not at that level. Uh, some other fun Easter eggs, courtesy of IFC here. A tank top is hanging on the wall of the bar in the opening sequence of this movie, Death Proof, that is. It houses some peculiar-looking artistry of a cartoon samurai against the backdrop of a rising sun, but if it brings up some deja vu in you, don't worry, that's intentional, because that tank top is the same one worn by Kurt Russell's character in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Tarantino being a fan of movies nice. and all, after all. Another one from IFC here, since we always focus on what makes Quentin dance, maybe it won't be all that surprising to learn that the giant, intricate jukebox, which plays a role in the second bar the first quartet of girls goes to, is actually the personal jukebox and 45 collection of Tarantino. Nice. Apparently, not only is the player and the records inside all part of his personal collections, but the songs and band names, which are handwritten in the sections within the jukebox itself, were all handwritten by Tarantino as a means of record keeping. So that's his actual jukebox that he actually had to rig up to deliver to set. Uh, And this last one here... This movie, Death Proof, may be just as famous for who was offered roles in it as who would be actually in the movie. Kurt Russell was far from Tarantino's first choice for Stuntman Mike, as the role was considered to be given to Sylvester Stallone, Mickey Rourke, (laughs) Ving Rhames, and Australian actor John Jarrett before Tarantino ultimately decided on offering the role to Russell, mainly at the behest and insistence of Grindhouse co-director Robert Rodriguez. Peter Schreiter of Slash Film also mentions that Tarantino wanted Cal Penn to play a role in the film as well, because the director apparently was a huge fan of Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. (laughs) But, get this, it conflicted with Penn's filming the conclusion of Epic Movie. So that story again, an actor chose Epic Movie over appearing in a Quentin Tarantino film. Wow. (laughs) That's weird. Those are your Easter eggs for Death Proof. I'll add one more. Ellie's whistle and uh, Rosario Dawson's ringtone there. It's kind of an obvious one. So that does give credence to the realer than real versus movie movie universes because that character could have gone to see Kill Bill, been like, I like that whistle, gone to that iTunes whatever that exists and bought the Kill Bill whistle song for her ringtone. And Tarantino, in his Q&As, really bragged hard about Ellie's whistle being like the number one ringtone overseas and Oh, really? Obscure countries that we don't, I don't remember. Oh, I should say obscure obscure countries, but I won't mention them, so I won't offend it. <laughs> America. <Just say> it. <laughs> All right, Mike, we got to get out of here. Any final thoughts? I probably will never watch this movie again. Yeah, I don't know if I'm rushing to rewatch it either. Uh, I have very conflicting feel- feelings throughout this. Same. And I don't like those. <laughs> I don't like them either. I, I'm surprised because I remember watching this years ago, and I'm like, "This that's a crazy movie. It's, yeah. it, it's well, a hell of an experience. It's I don't remember all One this. of the biggest messages that is inescapable in doing this rewatch is that time has an effect on what you put on screen. And a lot of times you can't see it coming, and sometimes maybe you really should. You know, it's not like that. some words weren't taboo back in 1992 and 1994. He probably had no business putting them in in the first place. But it certainly is a big deal, even more so now in 2019. It's not like you shouldn't have abused women and used your power dynamic to kind of hold littler and smaller people down for sexual assault and sex abuse, allegedly, like these people in Hollywood have done. 
but that has come to the forefront and now it makes certain films tough to watch because it's on our minds so prevalently yeah. time is going to alter the way we view these movies we also know that he knew about all the Weinstein stuff back then. Jesus, so is yeah. that like his working it through his art here? Like, and he's in a way he's fantasizing about all these women having power over the predators. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So I mean, he's kind of working through it's, that it's, stuff. He fucking makes feminist shit. He does. Like for all the shit we give men in writing women characters, he maybe does it the best of any one man. Better than most, yeah, I would say. But yeah. still, this fucking shit is <laughs> side-saddled. At, at times, but at other oh. times, he's 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 worse than he'll he'll right. go to both ends of the spectrum. Right. Like he'll go worse than we've ever seen a guy do it because for effect, for the arc of it all. Yeah, you're right. So it's yeah. frustrating. Frustrating is the word of the day, certainly for this episode. I think. Definitely. I want to know your comments, questions, thoughts, concerns about Death Proof or anything else we've done in the Tarantino Rewatch series or anything else we do in the MMO Empire. You can reach out to us for those kind words at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available everywhere. You hear podcasts, whether that be TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. Uh, if you enjoy what we do here, if you have a couple moments of free time, if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, those truly go a long way. We really appreciate that. And we really do read each and every comment and each and every review Definitely. that we do get. So keep and they those help coming. us. Thank you. And yeah, we love each and every one of those that come along our way. Uh, Michael, tell the good people what's coming next, and let's, uh, let's give them some words of wisdom to go out on. So next up, we have MMO Weekly, our variety show. And following that, we are going to dive into what's going to be a two-parter our mid-year Oscar report. We're going to have fun going through each and every category, all of the contenders that that we're going to label as of now. We're going to talk about them, and we're going to talk about what we've seen, what we're excited to see. Uh, we got a couple different uh, layers to that, a couple of fun things we're going to do. So that's going to be a big deal. So if, you're, uh, been, if you've been waiting for us to talk more Oscar stuff... So have we. Obviously, we do that heavy yeah. for uh, like six months out of the year. That is our job. <laughs> we're going to kick that off again. And uh, the off-season is kind of coming to a close. Just looked up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's IMDb scores. Almost 7,000 reviews. Would you like to guess the number? No idea. Is it high? Oh, uh, it's high. Yes. Oh, wow. Would you like to guess? Eight point eight. Nine point six. On seven thousand votes. So this is good. this is a big movie that yep. we've we talked about it and are one hundred percent accurate. Eighty-eight Metascore. Excited. Yeah. We we predicted that it's yeah. going to be a major player in at the Oscars this year. So we're there's ready. a reason we're doing this. Yeah. There's a reason <laughs> we're doing this. And in terms of words of wisdom, look. The best thing about this movie probably is the soundtrack. So go back and listen to the soundtrack on this one. And let us know, truly. I'm curious to hear, has current events changed the way... Will you ever watch this movie again, basically? I really don't think I would. I'm scared of our next few rewatches. Like, Django, we know we had problems Django's with. a pile of shit, yeah. I mean, we it's, dip- it's a time bomb, I mean. It's a time bomb, yeah. yeah. Not, not a stepping in shit. Could be. I rewatched Inglorious Bastards not so long ago, and it was still great. So I, I, At least Inglorious Bastards. We have it on record. The actress that was at the hands of abuse says she okayed it. You know, like that's, we have that. Right. 
We'll see. Strap in, guys. We've got a couple more big ones to come, and uh, this is why we're all doing it leading up to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you next time. See you. He wears a red